0: Welcome to the Become Fire podcast, a ministry of the Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit. If you'd like to learn more about this community, visit them on the web at www.becomefire.faith. That's .f-a-i-t-h. Now, here are the Friars. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Become Fire Podcast. It is your host, Father Anthony Tinker, and I am riding solo in Fireland today, but not solo here in the studio. I have two wonderful guests with us, but before I get to them, um, we are very excited. We are starting a... Uh, I don't know if I should call it a four-part series, an eight-part series. It's it's a kind of four different topics over eight different episodes. So for the next two months, we're going to talk about healing. We're talking about physical, emotional, spiritual, and psychological healing. And as uh, we go through this today, we're going to talk about physical healing, and I'm so excited. My guests today are Paul and Beth Zuccarelli. Welcome, Paul. Welcome, Beth. Thank you, Father Thank Tinker. you, Father. Um, It's such an honor. I've I've had the privilege of knowing the Zuccarellis for a number of years now, and Paul's story is one of physical healing. And so this first episode, we're going to walk through his story. So for this episode, we're going to walk through Paul's story, what happens in the particulars, and we're going to get through into the details. And then this next episode um, in a week, as a spoiler alert for next week, we're going to walk through and just reflect upon why is physical healing important in our walk with God. We'll go through that with each of our episodes, our next kind of um, eight episodes. There'll be an interview with someone about these different aspects. aspects, physical, spiritual, emotional, psychological, and then a reflection. The second episode is these two-part episodes of each aspect of healing, um, what it's meant to them in their walk with God. And so let's start. Paul Zuccarelli, we're getting right into it. Who are you? And uh, let's talk a little bit about your backgrounds leading up to the great miracle that you received.
1: Well, thank you, Father. Um, Paul Zuccarelli, born in Buffalo, moved to Tucson, 1981 at age 22. My lovely wife, Beth, started a family and <clears throat> changed jobs but for the most part was a successful businessman uh, very entrepreneurial in the small business market but also worked for publicly traded companies and moved forward and was a, uh, started several companies was on boards both philanthropic as well as pri- uh, private boards and um, did a lot of things just to learn but i had this uh, competitiveness in me this entrepreneurial nature in me and uh,
0: things were going great uh, up till my health just crashed one day Oh, wow. Well, before we get to the health crashing yeah. and the miracle story, can we talk about your spiritual life before sure. that moment? Great question. What was it like? Um, what was the practice of the family? Um, what was your relationship with God? Very good. Um, <clears throat> Mom was Protestant. Dad was Catholic. Went
1: to the Catholic Church. I was extremely poorly catechized. Kind of told you go to church or you're going to hell. It's that kind of Catholic guilt thing. I had no clue what I was doing. But my grandma on the Protestant side would always read her Bible. She lived with us. Uh, cause her husband died when she was 37. So when mom and dad got married, grandma came with the package. <laughs> so, uh, I just watch her read her Bible all the time. And so I loved the Bible, uh, love Jesus, but I didn't understand the Catholic church at all. Um, so I would read the Bible before I'd go to work. I would pray often, uh, meditate on the Bible
0: and that was it. It was kind of just a relationship between me and the Lord. Okay. Um, and then everything changed. So, we're going to let's walk through this kind of piece by piece. And let's start with kind of the initial concerns and what happened. Sure. So,
1: I'm rocking and rolling, so to speak, and I'm very successful in business, working 80 hours a week. Everything's turning to gold as far as the world's concerned. Um, And I start getting atrial fibrillation in my uh, 40s. Okay, and what does that mean? Uh, um, Atrial fibrillation is an arrhythmia in the heart um, known as AFib. And uh, the heart goes out of rhythm. So you get really sick, you're short of breath. Sometimes you get chest pain. You just can't function. You get dizzy. So they wanted to just uh, do an ablation on me and treat the symptom. And I said, no, no. And I used to go to prayer a lot, and I, my heart would come back on its own. But this was getting worse and worse. But I was born, or they discovered it when in my early 20s, I had a mitral valve prolapse. So my mitral valve was floppy and leaky. And that ca- that can cause AFib. So we fast forward, I'm getting sicker and sicker in my 50s. And the AFib's happening more and more in me, thinking I'm young and bulletproof, good shape. So occasionally, they would paddle me and electrocute me, and I'd go out of AFib, and I'd go walk out of the hospital and go right back to it. Um, but things were getting worse and worse. And then I had a little misdiagnosis because my cardiologist down in Tucson told me, you're fine, you're, you're, your valve's leaking, but you'll die something else. But I knew there was something wrong. You get that feeling, that interior conversation where they are just not right my skin was gray I couldn't breathe couldn't walk upstairs and after the doctor told me I'm fine I walked out and uh, got in the car and I received at the time and I didn't have no again I'm not well catechized wasn't I had no idea what a locution was that's when I received the message from the Lord that said get to the Mayo
0: Clinic Okay. Well, mouth. can we start? Was this an exterior voice? Was this something in, inside your heart? What do you, when you say, I received the locution from the Lord, what was that, and how did you know it was God? Um,
1: first of all, it's uh, not through audible, through my ear. Um, I, would, I would try to equate it to when you pray to God uh, from a contrite heart and fervently, you speak to him, but you don't open your mouth. No words are, are, are spoken. So we speak to God in our silence, but it's our thoughts. And it's our conscience. So we speak without speaking. It's almost the reverse of that. It's it's that voice that comes into your head where your very active mind is busy with a lot of thoughts and all of a sudden someone just pauses that. It's gone. you has got a blank slate in your brain. In that same way we pray to God in prayer, that voice comes right back to your mind
0: and through you. So that's how I would describe it, not
1: audible, okay. interior.
0: All right, so you have this interior voice that's telling you, go to the Mayo Clinic right. and you follow it. Right.
1: So I go to the Mayo Clinic and... Uh, The doctor had all my charts and records, and he said, you have classic symptoms of mitral valve failure, pre-heart failure. Okay. Um, So we're going to try to, you're going to need open heart surgery within two years. Um, What we'd like you to do is, if you go into AFib again, you call us immediately. We're going to try to get two years out of you before surgery. So I went home, and then boom, boom, I go into AFib twice, and I drive back up from Tucson to Phoenix, and They do a transesophageal echo, and then they came out of that, which is where they go down instead of a regular heart um, echo outside the rib cage. They look at it interiorly where they saw the mitral jets and the amount of blood leakage up into the valve, and they said, whoops, he has severe leakage. This guy's kind of in heart failure. So they told me to go home, relax, don't do anything, because the surgery consult, the only guy that can help me here is 13 days out. So I drove home with my wife in the car, and I get this next voice again. I said, Le- read the word. Highlight when I move you. I mean, it was okay. I know what the word is. Um, at least I thought I did. And uh, I get home, and I start pouring myself into the word, waiting for the 13 days for the consult with the surgeon. So as I'm waiting for the consult, I'm reading the word, and I'm, I'm sobbing, just crying miserably into my Bible. Because everything I'm reading is, leads me back to the cross. And uh, <clears throat> Beth said, what well, you know, what do you, she committing in and go, Why are you crying? You love the Bible. Because along with that locution came, I suffered for you, you will suffer for me, but I will be with you. He gave me that little bit of hope, I'll be with you. But, I, you know, no one wants to suffer. And I, I've, I led a charmed life, you know. Um, <clears throat> and so I'm, preparing myself to go see this consultant I couldn't get through the whole bible so I decided to read Psalms, Proverbs and the New Testament. And some of the things that were just really gut-wrenching in my soul were you know Psalm 51, prayer of repentance of a sinner. You know Psalm 91, the prayer in the time of distress. And then Psalm 139. And I just kept coming back to 139. You know what he did? He did know me before I was born. He knew me, he knit me. I don't have to worry, but I was, I was just very anxious, very anxious. So I didn't get through the whole Bible, but when I got back to, uh, so we ran up to Phoenix, meet with the surgeon and he says, I, I, I'm, I never met the man. He walks in the door and he said, I can't, I'm going to cut to the chase. Your valve shot. Literally. I can't even fix that. Be prepared to come out with a metal valve inside your chest, which is not what I wanted to hear because I'd done the research and I said, you know, a repair is better than a replacement. And I remember my mother taught me, whenever you need anything in desperation, you pray over the blood of the blood of Christ. Play over the blood, of the blood of the cross. So I looked at this total stranger and I said, Give me your hands. What? I said, I need to pray for you. What? Doctor, I said, Dear Lord, you brought me to this man at this hour of my life for a reason he's a total stranger. But please, through the blood of the cross, grant him the patience and the precision in his fingers to repair the valve you gave me, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. You was fine with it? <clears throat> He said, next Friday, you're my only patient, come on up. So we go home and I finish reading the Bible and I'm not getting any um, solitude. I'm crying more and more because it ain't, it ain't stopping. And I think for me, my personal struggle is when I prayed father, I used to, it was a one way communication. It was me to him. What do I need in my life? Do I need, you know, uh, my boss to treat me better or do I need this to fall into place for me or I need my kids to behave or it was what I wanted. I really wasn't seeking God's will for me. What did God want of me? And it became very clear. Like I said, he was leading me to the cross. It's all about the cross, the passion of the Christ, that I had to die. He's basically telling me, you have to die to see me.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to move over to Beth. We have uh, the privilege of having Paul's wife here with us. And and so Beth, what was going on in your heart, in your mind, as you see your husband getting ready for surgery, he's crying over the Bible with what he's going through emotionally. How are you doing with all this?
2: Um, Well, it was very unusual because, like he said, he loved to read the Bible. And seeing him sitting in his chair, tears running into his New Testament, I knew he was struggling and there was nothing I could do. Um, whether he was anxious over the upcoming surgery, I don't know. He never told me any of these locutions that he was having about suffering. He never shared that with me. So I'm seeing this as a total up, you know, person from the outside. So two days or three days before his surgery, I took him in the car and I bought him the crucifix, which he will tell in the story now, because I thought he had one when we dated when we were in high school and he hasn't worn a crucifix in a long time. And I thought, maybe this crucifix will give him that sense of peace, that comfort that he needed. That's all I thought. That's Mm -hmm. all I thought I bought this crucifix for. Oh, that's
0: beautiful. (laughs) But it was more. It was more, and so let's go to the surgery itself. Let's go to the day of surgery and what happens? Yeah, so I take in my Bible
1: <laughs> and my crucifix. And they, they said, you know, you're in open-heart surgery for hours. We'll put it in a little bag and put it under your pillow. <clears throat> and I said, can I pray? They said, sure. And some of the Mayo staff joined me. And I prayed Romans 3-5. I'm um, sorry, 3-5, through 5, excuse me. Where Paul says, rejoice in your afflictions or your yeah. sufferings. Because they'll produce endurance. And endurance will produce proven character. And character will get, produce hope. And I love the last line, hope will never disappoint because God's filled your heart with love through the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. It's been given to us. So I'm having heart surgery. God made my heart. Holy Spirit's in me. I was baptized. Let's go. And um, I go out. Next thing I know, I hear the doctor go, hey, I was in there five hours. I repaired your valve. I got it repaired. You're good to go. You'll be out in five days.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: So they send me up to the ICU and uh, extubate me. And I'm talking to my family and just trying to recover. The Lord had a different plan for me (laughs) Uh, the next day on Saturday, June 3rd, 2017, after surgery. This was about 24 hours post-op, and I'm in after recovery and everything, and I'm up in the room. And my sister was in the room, and I asked her, Beth was out having dinner or lunch with the boys or David, and I said, um, Donna, can you get the nurse? There's something wrong with me. She said, what? I said, I don't know, but there's something wrong with me. I'm burning like head to toe. My body's like, I feel like I'm on fire. My whole body's like intense burning. And she goes, nurse, nurse, he said he's really hot. Nurse comes in, looks at all the telemetry in the ICU. He's perfectly normal. She takes two steps out of the room, and I have my first cardiac arrest. She's not a heart attack. My heart stopped. And they came in, and they paddled and paddled, and my soul left my body. Want me to say that for the spiritual second half?
0: No, you just briefly touch on it now. So what happened?
1: So my soul left my body, and I saw them all work on me. I had total peace, no concern of the body. And then this glorious white light came. It was brighter than the sun. It's pure white, intense white light. And drew me into it. And I go into this light. And we'll stop there and we'll go back to what they're working on the body. Now, how's that? we'll save that for okay. the next
0: episode. So it's a teaser alert a spoiler, you know, kind of a for the next episode. Yeah.
1: You want to know about heaven? Come back to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, <clears throat> they're paddling me and paddling me and um, next thing I know, my eyes pop open and I look up at the guy upside down is above my head. And I said, you used 150 jewels on me, didn't you? And he looks around at me and He goes, who's this guy? How does he know what we did to him? Um, the next thing I know, um, surgeons in there and he goes, it was an anomaly. It was an anomaly. Your heart stopped your heart. You're back. You're good. You're good. I know what anomaly means. It means you don't know. <laughs> so they told me I was fine. Lord again, uh, in his divine providence, uh, uh, I wasn't fine. So the next day was Pentecost Sunday. At 849 a.m. again, my heart stopped. Praise be Jesus Christ. And I had eight cardiac arrests that day, almost two hours on and off. And they're working on me, working on me. And now my wife Beth is there, David's there, our son, our son Michael, sister. They all had to watch this from like 15 feet away. It must have been horrific. Thank God I was dead. I didn't have to see it. I mean, it had to be traumatic. And they kept paddling and paddling, and finally they said, We're sorry. What he has is fatal. He's lost the electrical connection to his heart. We're sorry. doctor shervatson Shravatsan's been called because it's all electrical problems. Um, But ICU teams cannot do anything for this man. It's inhumane to electrocute him like this. So upon hearing that, here comes another locution. Michael gets this prompting by the Holy Spirit to go into my room and take the crucifix that Beth just referenced that she purchased a few days earlier. His last token of dad. It's all, it's dad's. So he's got left. It's amazing how the whole family's being led to the cross without knowing at the time. Everything's solved at the cross. Everything. All life's frustrations. But, well, again, that'll be episode two. <clears throat> so Michael takes the cross. The Lord says, get to St. Paul's church now. And uh, maybe Beth can comment what Michael's reaction was because she didn't want him to go. And then we'll come back to where he ended up. Go ahead, Beth, if you want.
2: Um, <clears throat> so, Yeah. Uh, after the doctors had told me that they were going to not cardiovert him anymore. And Michael decided to.
0: Was just? How were you doing at this moment? I just, what were you, how were you emotionally? Well, you saw the faces of the doctors.
2: Yeah. I, we literally were outside the room, outside the ICU and we watched it for almost, an, almost two hours and we were huddled together and crying and praying and watching and. My son, David, was my rock. He sat there and watched the telemetry, and every time they would get his heartbeat somewhat back, David would tell me, Mom, Mom, they got him back. They got him back. So Michael was traumatized. He could barely stand up. But So when they had decided that they were going to take him down to the cath lab and do whatever procedure they were going to do, Michael went back in the room and got the crucifix, and I did not know he went back into the room to get the crucifix. I saw him go back in the room, but I thought he went in back. For his backpack or his water bottle. And we were in the elevator on the way down to the lobby. And he said to me, Mom, I'm leaving this hospital. And I said, Where do you think you're going? And he says, I need to find a church. And I said, Honey, there's a chapel downstairs. We'll all go down in the chapel and we'll pray. We'll all be together. He looked at me with a look I will never forget. And he said to me, No, Mom, I need to find a church. And I knew there was no stopping him. Yeah. So I walked him to the front doors of the Mayo Clinic. And he walked out. And I looked up to God and said, God, he's in your hands. And he left.
1: And what's interesting is the Lord was specific with him, get to St. Paul's church. And he thought initially, mentally, that because my name is Paul, that made logical sense, reason sense. So he ends up at St. Paul's church and he walks in and he thinks it's a priest. He's got board shorts on and flip flops. And
0: uh, <clears throat> your bishop- son, not the yeah, priest. Yeah yeah, 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 exactly. Our son Michael,
1: <laughs> and he walks in and he notices the a first communion and confirmation going on, but he thinks it's a priest. So he's respectful, and after communion, he runs back in and says, "I need to see that priest right now." And they reminded him. They said, "Sir, that's the bishop." So Bishop Olmstead came out, tried to console Michael, and Michael lifted up the cross that Beth brought, but or days earlier, this cross is making its rounds to where it needs to be. Um, <clears> then <throat> Bishop Olmstead said he clutched the cross. He said, your, your son fell at my feet and just begged me to help you by prayer to heal you. And I took the cross and I had chrism on my hands from the sacraments. And I, I felt suffering of the family. And he said, your heart, your son's faith, Paul, saved your life. He moved my heart so much. I said, Michael, where two or more gathered in my name. There I'll be in their midst. Let's pray for your father. But I went back and during my Vespers, I prayed for your healing on Pentecost Sunday. So, meanwhile, while this is happening simultaneously, Dr. Shervatson, who they called in, came in and informed Beth, you know, I'm going to try to give him rest. There's no treatment. Sign the Do Not Resuscitate rescission form, reset um, the rescission, and I will uh, do what I can do. I'm going to give him rest. So, he he did what's called a left stellic ganglion nerve block of the brainstem. In layman's terms, he sewed a pacemaker outside my body like a generator, ran a wire down my juggler into my atrium, quickly went up my groin to screw in a lead in my atrium to try to beat my heart with a generator outside my body. <clears throat> then you would go up my left side up into my ganglion nerve brainstem. That's when you sleep at night, you breathe, and your heart beats. That's the nerve that does that for you while you're sleeping. Just the left side of the nerve is heart and lungs. The rest is your organs. You be very careful. So he, um, he showed me my chart later, Beth and I, and he said, I want you to look at this. This is the connection of how God uses people and their hands in his divine providence for healing. Sometimes he uses the doctors and hands, and sometimes we all know he's the divine physician. He directly intervenes at his will. So Dr. Strauss showed us, it said, patient's heart, Um, cannot proceed with interrogating the device in his neck. Patient does not have a heartbeat. He said, Paul, right there, I'm sending you to the morgue. I got everything set up, wires and everything. But if I kill that nerve and that wire isn't, and that lead isn't exactly where it needs to be to override, I got to have a heartbeat to override it. He said, so I can't proceed. I have to test the wire and I can't. The next sentence in my chart says, patient's heart spontaneously returns to sinus rhythm on its own. And we're standing around you going, what just happened? No medical intervention. And I yelled, test the wire. And where I put that lead, overrode it, and I said, step back. And I went in, I killed your nerve, and you are dead. Your heart and lungs can't work. I flipped the switch. I put you on total life support in a coma. I work on you to stabilize you for an hour, and I told your wife he's alive by the wire in his neck. We leave him resting for two days, and then we shut the wire off, and in two days, When we shut the wire off, if his heart stops, we leave the man, he's dead. There's no treatment. If he lives, he's going to have most likely neurological damage. Praise be Jesus Christ. What's amazing is when you look at the time of the chart of when my heart came back on its own so he could finish that procedure and the bishop and our son praying, it's within minutes. It's shortly after noon the same day. So the Lord led Michael with four and a half million strangers in Phoenix to Bishop Olmstead to pray. My heart comes back on its own. He's able to complete the procedure. Praise be Jesus Christ. I'm able to share this with your audience. Now, oh, praise
0: God. Amen. Amen. Okay, and so you're for two days. You're yeah. resting. Right. Um, And then uh, they turn things on and the heart starts beating. Obviously, it's why you're here. <laughs> you right. would, if it didn't beat, you wouldn't be sitting here. Yeah, yeah. And so let's just go back to Beth. How were you those two days? And talk about what the Lord was doing in your heart in that time.
2: Well, after witnessing the cardiac arrests for so long and it got to the point personally that paul was in the best hands medically i knew that there was nothing i could do as a wife i had then turned to mother mode my job was now to protect my children and to comfort them so that was what i had to do so when Paul went into his first cardiac arrest on Saturday, I spent the night in his ICU room with him. And then I spent uh, Sunday night also with him. So I basically was just there, and I told my boys to just pray. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much more you want <laughs> the me to. Other thing, yeah.
1: The other thing I would add to that is... Uh this is a good discussion about the intersection of physical healing with spiritual intervention. The procedure Dr. Shervatson did as an electrophysiology cardiologist, the left stellate ganglion nerve block of the brainstem. The president of the American College of Neurosurgeons has read our book, Faith Understood, forwarded by Bishop Umstead. He said, I want to meet this electrophysiology cardiologist. That procedure is reserved to neurosurgeons who are highly trained. Less than one tenth of 1% of neurosurgeons would ever attempt that. He could have killed you doing that. Who trained him to do that? He's not an invasive doctor. <clears throat> so I asked Dr. Shervatsa. Dr. Scully wanted to know who trained you. And the man began to weep. He was, he's a very humble doctor. And he said, tell him no one. I told you, I didn't treat you, I gave you rest. I read about the procedure. I've only done it once. There's only one thing I could do that day is that give you rest so again wow. just the
0: intersection of that the lord keeps confirming and affirming praise yeah. god well we only have a few minutes left to finish the physical aspect but yeah. i do want to say because after you got home the lord kept working and i want to just talk about it. there's a couple specific things the lord did in that time that i think are part of the physical healing right um and what he did because you had some i, I want to say near-death experiences but it seemed like the the lord is still coming for you do You you oh, mind yeah. sharing those real quick
1: sure sure So I'm home in Tucson. I'm like four days post-op. I'm on so many meds I can't even. I don't even know what I'm taking, and my heart would go in and out of arrhythmia again. And I'm like, you know, I thought this was supposed to fix this, and I don't feel good. And when's my heart going to stop again? You know, you go through all these kind of like, okay, at least I'm prepared now. Um, So I get up to go to the bathroom in the morning. I didn't realize how many diuretics I was on. So I get up to go to the. I was just, you know, urinating constantly. So I get up to go to the bathroom at seven o'clock, and I. Begin to faint, and I remember trying. And I had I couldn't use my left arm because they'd done a pacemaker defibrillator installation too. So I grabbed my with my right arm the sink, the cabinet, and I I said I'm, I like I've never fainted, but you when you faint and you have time, you know you're going out. So I kind of grabbed the sink and I said, you know, Lord, I start begin, just you talk about supplications like screaming at God. And I said, Lord, help me, please. I don't want to. And my only thoughts, Father, were. I'm dying again. I can't stay conscious. And I fall to the floor on my butt, and I'm breathing, and my eyes are closing. I'm having a very hard time staying conscious. And all I kept saying was, begging God, I don't want my wife to see me like this. I don't want to die on a bathroom floor. I've been through so much. Please help me. And I was thinking I was dying. Can you help me? And uh, that same white light that you'll hear about in episode two permeated the windows Out, I'm looking, facing the bathroom window. but had had a shade on, it was closed. That same intense white light comes right through. And this voice says, I have you in my hands. You're okay. And I pass out. I have no idea how it's all out. I come to and I just scream for Beth, Beth, Beth. She comes in. She goes, oh my gosh, what happened? You fell? I'll call 911. And I said, no. This is kind of the gut check trust. I said, you call the Mayo in Phoenix from Tucson and tell them I'm laying on the floor and what we're supposed to do. Because the voice said, you, you're okay. I have you in my hands, you're okay. I said, I am not going to an ER. And they called the Beth called the Mayo. They called back within 20 minutes. And they said, uh, you know, what what's the symptoms? And they said, look, it, get orange juice in him. Stop the diuretics. He's probably totally dehydrated with no electrolytes in him, causing the arrhythmias. Get orange juice in him. If he's not coherent in a half an hour, give him to the air. That's all it was. Praise God. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
0: Well, I've, I've certainly been uh, enthralled by this conversation so far, and I'm excited to hear about... Uh, the rest of the story, um, as we've heard, heard the physical healing the Lord did, and as we delve into not just that, but how physical healing leads us closer to God and how we use this time to lead you and your whole family closer to God. Amen. And, and so we're going to delve into that next time. Uh, so please uh, join us uh, next week to delve deeper into the story of Paul. And we've heard the physical. Now we want to hear God working through the physical for uh, work on his family. Um, Thank so, you, Father Inti. Of course. And uh, and if you've been with us before, you know that we like to ask kind of a fun question at the end just to get to know our audience a little bit better, and which is hilarious because Beth loves hearing us answer these fun questions, and now she is forced to answer a fun question. Um, and so I want to get into—you guys are from Buffalo, right. and uh, when I think Buffalo, I think Buffalo Wings because I love Buffalo Wings. Mm. So I want to talk about— is it true? I mean, just as just first, is a yes/no. Um, are buffalo wings really better in Buffalo? And uh, and two, what are your favorite foods? Beth, you go first.
2: Um, buffalo wings are better in Buffalo. Okay. Yeah, I think they're crispier. Okay. They really deep fry them really good. Okay. So. Yeah.
0: And then from that favorite food. Favorite food. Are buffalo wings are from Buffalo. I just assume Buffalo. No,
2: <laughs> they're not my favorite food. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know.
2: Do I have a favorite food? Hmm. I think ice cream.
0: Ice cream. Egg. Any flavor in particular?
2: Mm, I don't know. I like chocolate, but then I like vanilla. Vanilla with chocolate syrup. Okay. Yeah, well, so, there you go. Yeah, it's there a you winner. go. There Paul?
1: you go. Well, I would echo what Beth said about the wings. <clears throat> the story briefly behind the wings is Anchor Bar. Huge buffalo sun, snowstorm. <laughs> they shut down the city. People are trapped at the Anchor Bar. And they literally, over days, run out of food. They can't get food in. So finally, the owner comes out and says, all I have left are some chicken wings, some celery, some blue cheese dressing, some butter, and some hot sauce. And he makes the chicken wings. Kind of the last supper (laughs) for these people. And um, that secret sauce, if you will, is now Frank's hot sauce. Right. You yeah, know, that's, that's where it came from. Wow. So how can it be better than Buffalo?
0: <laughs> they threw some stuff together, and that's what's bottled now.
1: Uh, favorite food,
0: I, being Italian, Father, I'd have to go anything Italian. Anything yeah. Italian. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Okay, well, let's say a final prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for this time together, especially for healing, God. We thank you so much for the healing that you've done in, in Paul's life. We, we speak now to all those who are listening who are in need of physical healing. God, we pray that you send forth your spirit down upon them uh, to minister to their physical needs, whatever they are, um, whether it be uh, heart issues, uh, cancer, uh, joint issues, uh, leg issues. Lord, we just speak right now to the bodies um, by the power of your spirit that bring them healing. Lord, that they might come to know you, that that physical healing might lead them closer to you. And may your spirit touch many hearts and many lives through the witness of Paul and Beth Zuccarelli. May the blessing of Almighty God come down upon you as I bless you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Become Fire podcast. The Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit can be found online at www.becomefire.faith. That's dot aith The Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit are also a 501c3 charitable organization. If you feel called in any way to give financially to their mission, please go to www.becomefire.faith give. That's becomefire.faith slash give. May the Lord give you his peace. We'll see you next time.